This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're in Genesis chapter 9. We're going to continue on in that study. And uh, the title of today's lesson is To Life to Life. The reason Brother Cole's not teaching today, they've been on vacation, uh, and he got back late this week, and he said, I just won't have time to put together a quality message, and, and so he asked me to, to fill in. So you're still not getting a quality message, but <laughs> that's why I'm filling in for him. Uh, so we're going to read Genesis chapter 9, just the first three verses to kind of launch into our lesson uh, this morning. So follow along with me, if you will. Genesis chapter 9, starting in verse 1, and it says, And God blessed Noah and his, fam- and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Verse 2, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, and upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered Verse 3, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your divinely inspired, divinely preserved word. And Lord, we thank you for the fact that we can freely assemble today uh, to study it. Lord, help me, help all of us, Lord, to have a tender heart, to understand an open mind, to hear what you would have Uh, us to learn today from your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. To life, to life. Uh, In Genesis chapter 9, as we're going to see today, God addressed uh, the eight survivors of the flood and gave them instructions. He gave them instructions concerning, concerning four areas of life. And though given initially to Noah and his family, these instructions apply to all people in all ages and all places. They are permanent ordinances from God for all humanity, and they must not be ignored or altered. Life is precious, and it must be handled with care. We want to remember that. Life is precious and it must be handled with care. And so the first first instruction that God gives us here in in verse 1 is multiplying life. Uh, Multiplying life in Genesis chapter 1. And some of this that we're going to look at is a review from last week. And I understand that, so please don't check out on me before we're going to get to the new stuff. So just hang in there. But some of this is new. Multiplying uh, life is what God's first instruction is and gives us letter A. And it's a new, and the blank there is beginning, a new beginning. When Noah came out of the ark, like we discussed last week, he was like a second Adam, a second Adam. And he's about to usher in a new beginning on earth for the human race. Faith in the Lord had saved Noah and his household from destruction, and now his three sons uh, would repopulate the whole earth, uh, and that's in verse 18 talks about that. 
But Noah, his family, the three sons, all of them individually and personally had faith in the word of the Lord, and that's why they all individually and personally entered into the ark. As we said last week, these are adult kids that could have just walked away just as easily, but they didn't. They had faith. They entered in the ark. God saved them, preserved them in, during the flood and the ark. Uh, he prepared a new earth for them, like we said last week, and now they, they rested, and they're here on earth and getting ready uh, to usher in uh, the new beginning of the human race. Letter B, or letter B, we see an old and the word there is mandate. God gave them an old mandate. If you look at the end of verse 1, it says, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Why, is, why am I calling that an old mandate? Because that is the exact words that God gave Adam and Eve back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. And by the way, that word replenish means to fill. I have a bucket, replenish it with water means to fill it with water. And God's telling them to fill the earth. And that's what replenish means there. But he repeats it twice here. He says it in verse 1 and he says it again in verse 7. Be ye fruitful and multiply. God told Adam that, and now he tells it to Noah and his family. All of Noah's descendants are important. We understand that. Uh, but especially the line of Shem, because from the line of Shem comes Abraham. Out of Abraham becomes the nation of Israel. And, of course, uh, out of Israel or the Jewish nation, from that nation would come the Redeemer, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, and would fulfill Genesis 3.15, where it says that he would crush uh, the serpent's head. So this is an old mandate uh, for multiplying that God gave Adam and Eve, and now he gives it again to Noah and his family. And so I want to letter C, or yeah, letter C, it says A, and it's biblical, the word there is biblical, a biblical view of children. In scripture, children are described as a blessing. Folks, they are not a curse. They are a blessing according to scripture. And to have many children, and especially grandchildren, if you're a grandparent, you know what I'm talking about, grandchildren, but they are evidence as a favor of God according to the word of God. And you can see that in Genesis uh, 24 and 60 and Psalm 127, 3 through 5. And I believe you have those verses written down there for you. You can look at those later. Psalm 127, uh, verse 5, I think, is the one that we, we go to most. It says, happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Uh, and... We know the Brown family is a really happy family. <laughs> but uh, we are so happy for children and grandchildren, and they really please us and bring us joy. Uh, and that's what God intended for them. And then I wanted to go to D. It says a, a corrupted, and the word there is corrupted, a corrupted view of children. 
and I'm sure you know where I'm headed with this, but a corrupted view of children. Many people today do not share the biblical view of children, which is a blessing. They consider them to be anything but a blessing. They consider them to be an intrusion in their lives or an inconvenience or something to just set aside or, or not, uh, not have anything to do with. And in the part of it, we saw, we saw all these people that were killed during the wars. Wars, According to Wiersbe, in the first 200 years of American history, starting with the Revolutionary War, 1,200,000 American lives were lost in nine major wars. 1,200,000. But in one year, one year alone, the United States, 1,600,000 babies were legally aborted. The United States legalized abortion, 1,600,000 in one year, as opposed to 1,200,000 in nine major wars. That is a stink in God's nostril. And that's where we're at. There is a corrupted view these days in a corrupted view of children. In biblical times, Jewish couples wouldn't even consider abortion, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of it, whether is this family wealthy or are they poor? Uh, should they, are they too poor to have children? People today abort children because we, we just can't afford them uh, we already have two, we don't need any more, uh, and that sort of thing. But the Jewish people understood God's laws, and life was a gift, life is a gift, and life will continue to be a gift from God. And, that, and children are a heritage from the Lord. They're a gift from Him. They're treasures treasures to be protected. They're not something that you would just sit on the shelf and let collect dust. A treasure is something that you take care of and you, you protect it and you keep it from being damaged or destroyed or hurt. Uh, and that's what children are. And children are something to be invested in. They're our future. They're the next generation. They're who's going to lead our country. They're who's going to represent our family. Uh, they, are, they are to be treasured and invested in. Amen. Multiplying life, that's God's first instruction. He wants to multiply life. And that takes us to point number two. Uh, and it's the blank there is sustaining life. If God, there's an old saying among preachers that says, where God guides, God provides. If God wants us to multiply a life, don't you think that he would already plan to sustain life? I think so. And so that's our point there, sustaining life. Uh, that's our second instruction that we will see, as soon as I flip the page over here, uh, in Genesis chapter 9. If you ask someone, what does it take to sustain life? What does it take to sustain life? Well, that question has been asked. Letter A, man said, we're the blank there is man, so man said. So a survey taken in 1900 asked people, what does it take 
to function normally and be content. What does it take to function normally and be content? Man said in 1900 that there were 72 things, and I'm not going to list them, 72 things that it takes to function normally and be content. Well, 50 years later, they asked basically the same question, and at this point, man said, oh, it takes about 500 things to function normally and be content. I can't even think of 500 things. I've got a wife that can cook. That keeps me going pretty good, you know, <laughs> as you can tell. But uh, what does it take to function normally and be content? Well, that's what man said. But what does God say? What did God said? B, letter B, God. What God said. God's word gives us how many things does it take to function normally and be content? Two. Two. He says that we should, and having food and raiment, let us be there with content. 1 Timothy 6, 5. 6, 8, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 6, 8. So God said uh, there's only two things that it takes to, be, to function normally and be content. Food and clothes. And then we have little I underneath that. So we're going to look at some passages of Scripture uh, to support what God said. And uh, you can tell from the word after the blank, it's food. So the first blank is in the garden food is what we're going to look at. Food from the garden and the garden food. And this is not the garden that we plant, but in the Garden of Eden. So in the beginning, God established Adam and Eve in their garden home. And like we said, if he's going to do something, he's going to take care of it. So he gave them food to eat. He gave man fruit and plants to eat. And I think I have those two verses in your handout there, right? Because I think that's really important that we understand this. Uh, Genesis 1, 29 and 30, God gave man and animals the uh, fruits and plants. We're all vegetarians. It says... And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in which there is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for me, for man. Now look at verse 30. And to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for me. And it was so. So God has given man and he's given animals, uh, fruit and herbs to eat. Everyone's a vegetarian. So when we talk to the evolutionists, they said, but there's the dinosaurs with the big teeth. They had to be meat eaters. You know what big teeth in dinosaurs means? It means they had big teeth. They could eat big trees. They could eat bushes. You know those 200-pound pumpkins? They can eat them in one bite if they want to. But God says they're eating fruits and herbs. That's what they're eating. They're eat Some trees grow 100 feet tall. They could eat them. They were tall. They had big teeth. They had power. They could rip them down and eat them. God's Word says they're eating fruit and uh, 
herbs. So God said it, that settles it. In my mind, maybe you have something different, but in my mind, uh, everyone was a vegetarian from the Garden of Eden until we get to where? Genesis 9. <laughs> That's where we're at today, Genesis 9. So the, we're going to go to letter B. After the flood food, the word, word there is flood. After the flood food. And we read uh, in, ver in uh, verse 2, what did it say? It says, and the fear of you and the dread of you, you with me? And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air and upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. And into your hand are they delivered. Verse 3, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Notice there's a semicolon. Even as the green herb that I have given you all things. So what's God Changing what's God doing here? God's saying, I gave you herbs and fruit in the garden, and you've been eating that. Now, I'm adding to that, I'm giving you meat to eat. I'm giving you uh, the animals to eat. So, now God has expanded what man can eat. He's changed his diet. And the harmony of in nature between man and animals has been greatly changed. It is, it is a total different thing. God, if you heard that in verse 2, placed fear and dread into all the animals and the fowl and the fish. And we just read that. So if you understand that, I understand it, that from the garden up until now in verse 9 that you could walk out and pet a lion you know maybe you could set your baby on the back of a tiger and let him walk around man and animals were getting along fine Noah didn't have to go out and trap animals to drag them into the ark they came willingly and went into the ark God brought them in God worked in their heart God uh, works in their mind God helped uh, th that and God now is changing things. Cain was a farmer, Abel was a shepherd, and Noah and his sons are now hunters. And folks, God working in hearts and mind, God worked in the heart of man to eat me. God works in the hearts of animals to stay away from man because they're going to eat you, so you better run. I mean, and that's the truth. You just don't walk into a pond, put your hand out, and a fish swims into your hand just to say hi. They don't do that. So what we see in nature today is living proof of what God says in his word. And that's a point that I want to make there. Um, however, God did put a restriction on this. Uh, he put a restriction on the eating of animal flesh that the meat must be free of the blood. Look at verse 4. But flesh with the life thereof which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. We could camp out on that one verse and be here for hours talking about what God is talking about, about the, the life is in the blood. Uh, and the, God put this restriction on here in 
Genesis 9, 4, he reiterates it later on with Moses. And when they do the sacrifices, the blood is caught. It's sprinkled on the altar before God. Uh, and so what God is saying in these instructions is life is in the blood and it is supposed to be respected. Life is to be respected, even if you're butchering an animal uh, to eat. So in this restriction, God again reveals his concern for animals and animal life. Life is in the blood. Life comes from God, and life should be respected. I'm going to interject something here, and I hope we have time to do this. But there's a question sometimes people ask is, is there Animal, are there animals in heaven? And this morning I happened to read Revelation 5.13. And it talks about he, how every living creature in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, and in the sea would praise Jesus. So, I don't know. Maybe they're there. Not sure. But I just wanted to throw that in. So you might want to read Revelation 5 and 12. Revelation 5 talks about worthy is the lamb. Uh, and then I just couldn't put the Bible down when I was reading that. I had to go on and read 13, and I thought, man, that ties in here. So maybe there's animals in heaven. We'll see when we get there. That's a little aside. We're talking about sustaining life. Uh, so talking about respecting the blood. Furthermore, uh, the, you know, the blood of, of the animals is to be respected and, and in, in Moses and the sacrifices that you saw there and you'll see that and uh, Dr. Coles will address those more when we get in uh, to that but it's to be treated with reverence. So talking about sustaining life we've talked about what man said, God said now we're going to look at C and we're going to see what Jesus said. Yes, Jesus is also God. I understand that. I'm not making a distinction between God and Jesus. Jesus is God. But see, as Jesus said, Jesus taught that it was permissible to eat all foods. If you look at Mark chapter 7, you don't have to turn there, but in verse 15 it says, There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. It's not what we take in that defiles us. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. It's not about what we eat. It's about what's in our heart and comes out of our mouth that defiles us. Uh, the things we say and do. That was uh, reinforced in uh, Acts chapter 10 by Peter. He said, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Uh, in First Timothy, uh, Paul said, uh, For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer that might not mean much to you but that caught my eye big time because being a chaplain in the jail I had to deal with Muslims so I had to have a little bit of a working knowledge of the Quran uh, and it was always bantering back and forth well the Quran says this well how are we going to incorporate this into the jail or do we do what the guy's saying or what so I found a website that was really uh, good I thought and basically what they say is for a Muslim anything they eat is okay as long as they pray to Allah before they eat it and so they're just copying what the Bible says and making it their way but I thought that was interesting but God is saying 
whatever you eat is good as long it's sanctified by uh, the word of God and prayer in 1 Timothy 4, 5. That kind of reinforces the idea that we need to say grace before we eat. But you know, later on in, in, uh, in New Testament history, the church ran into problems about who should eat what and who can eat this and, and all that. But basically, Paul's counsel was that we should uh, receive one another, we should love one another, and we should not do anything that would cause our brother to stumble, which is a great principle. Uh, but we shouldn't do anything that should make, make others stumble, yet we should be about seeking what we can do to build one another up, to mature each other in Christ. We should love one another and build each other up. Folks, I don't know about you, but I need a lot of building. <laughs> and I think we can all say that. We do. We all need building. Uh, our, our goal should be to mature in Christ, to be the best ambassador, the best light. I love what they talk about this morning. Regardless of where you're at, your light can shine. Regardless of where we are, we want to be built up. We want to be matured. We want to let our light shine as bright as we can for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so God gives us these instructions on sustaining life, uh, multiplying life, and then number three, the blank there is protecting. This is the third instruction from God, protecting life. God says, look, I want you to multiply. I'm going to keep you going. I'm going to sustain you. And now we, we need to talk a little bit about protecting life as we live it out. So God instructed Noah about the shedding of animal blood. And now he proceeds to discuss an even more topic, the shedding of human blood. Uh, and as you know, thus far, mankind does not have a real good track record about not shedding human blood. Cain killed Abel. Lamech killed a young man and even bragged about it. Uh, and the earth, according to uh, Genesis chapter 6, has been filled with all kinds of violence. So man is not doing real good, so God needs to address this issue with them. Uh, so... We see in verse 2, letter A, God put the fear of, and the blank there is man. God put the fear of man into the animals. And we talked about that, but God put the fear of man into animals, animals and there doesn't seem to be any implication throughout Scripture that this was the case before Genesis chapter 9 and verse 2. Everyone, like we said, were vegetarians. They ate plants and they ate fruit. And letter B, God puts the fear of, and the word there is God, into man. God puts the fear of God into man. God had to put the fear of God into man because if he didn't, humans are going to destroy each other. Those who kill other fellow human beings will have to answer for God for their deeds. For men and women are made in the image of God. And it puts a stink in God's nostrils to kill another human being. To attack a human being is, is to attack God. It says, God, you may be giving this person life, but I think 
I'm equal to you or better than you, I am going to take their life because I'm better than you, I'm smarter than you, I understand it better. Uh, so people will attack other people, kill them, and God uh, said that's not good. All life is a gift of God, and we don't want to take God's place uh, for that. But the Lord gives life, and he alone has the right to, now listen to this, he alone has the right to authorize who he wants to to take away that life. God has the, he's the one that's in control. And if God says, I authorize you to take another human's life, then you're acting in God's stead. And God is going to arrange how to punish murderers and see that justice is done. He's protecting life. He wants the law to be upheld, and so he established human government on earth. And in so doing, what he did was he shared with mankind the awesome power that he has to determine who is going to die and when. That's the import of God's mandate. John, or Genesis 9, verse 6. Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man by man he says shall his blood be shed for in the image of God made he man human government and capital punishment go together Paul explains that in Romans chapter 13 government authorities carry a sword and they have a God-given right to use it. Sometimes they don't use it very well, but they do have that. Opponents of capital punishment will ask, well, does capital punishment deter crime? Well, let me ask you, does a no parking sign determine who parks there or not? Does that little sign out there on the interstate that says 55, does that deter people from doing 55? Probably not, but there are some people it does. There are some people that are deterred by the fact that they might get punished if they did a crime. I can tell you, I'm 74. When I was about five years old, I was riding on, in, a, in a car and sitting on this guy's lap and he had a newspaper there, we called him uncle. He had a newspaper there and I can remember to this day, I can see what was on that paper. There was a picture of just bars and a man behind bars. And it said that if you break the law, you're gonna go to jail. And I don't know if that stuck with me throughout my life. And maybe that, <laughs> I did end up in jail for 13 and a half years, but, uh, the thing is, I remember that picture. And I believe there was probably times in my life when I was tempted to snatch a Tootsie Roll or do something or take something from somewhere and that picture in the back of my mind deterred me from committing that crime. And I believe that we should teach people, thou shalt not steal. And then when they get there, to that point and they're tempted then they won't steal because they've been taught that uh, they will be deterred from crime because God has implemented these instructions 
A government was established by God because the human heart is evil. We talked about that this morning. And the fear of punishment can help. I didn't say permanently not permit. I said can help uh, to restrain would-be lawbreakers. The law can restrain, but it can't regenerate. I have worked with inmates for years, and I can tell you that narrow is the way. We're, we're getting ready to start a new program in the Hampton Roads Regional Jail that's being funded with a lot of money through a grant by a, a, some wealthy people in California, but they're sending all the materials to us, uh, and eventually the inmate can get college credit for it. Uh, and that's wonderful. We can do that. Uh, but uh, we can't regenerate their hearts. They must uh, receive Christ as their Savior if they're going to have any hope of being regenerated. God can change the human heart. And God's mandate of capital punishment began with this. If, if you look at that, it says, whoso, in verse 6. Whoso. Whoso is whosoever. Whoso is given by God to be respected Capital punishment, God's mandate, is given by God to be respected and obeyed by all people. And that's our third instruction there. So let's look at the fourth one, number four, enjoying life. God says, hey, I want you to multiply. I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to protect you. And I want you to enjoy life. God wants us to enjoy life, folks. He does. We don't have to walk around, oh, I'm a Christian, I have to look like somber and, and my head down all the time. No, God wants us to enjoy life. Uh, and this section is what the theologians call, and you see that word, the N-O-A-H-I-C, covenant, right? I am not an English major. So I said, I don't want to mess up in front of the class and have Dr. Coles thrash me 30 lashes with a whip if I mispronounce this word. So where can you go to find out how to pronounce a word? Of course you go to YouTube. So I go to YouTube and I said, okay, how to pronounce N-O-A-H-I-C. And there were some videos there and I pressed play on the first one and it says, this voice says, Noick. 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 I said, well that sounds pretty good. But here's another one. Let me just double check it. And the voice says, Noaic. 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 And I said, now, oh, man. Okay, so there's a third one. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to press the third one, and whichever one of the first two it matches, that'll be it, right? That's what I'll use. So I press the third one. Noaken. 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 <laughs> Okay, so maybe it's a U-tub and not a U-tube. But in any event, I do remember uh, in Bible college I'm saying Noachan. So we're going to call it Noachan. This section here that God's talking about is the uh, Noachan covenant. But letter A is God spoke. God spoke a covenant. And we'll see that. It's called the Noachan or Noach or Noach or Noach, however you want to pronounce it. But God spoke especially to Noah and his sons this covenant 
but it includes Noah's descendants for perpetual generations. And that's what it says, the last three words in verse 12. Uh, God said, this is my covenant, says for perpetual generations. So this covenant doesn't stop here with just Noah. This is, folks, the Bible is not a history book. Yes, it has a lot of history in it, but this is God speaking to mankind. This is his word to us. The covenant doesn't stop here. Uh, but he gives it in verse 10. It says, and with every living creature. So he's giving this, he's speaking this covenant to Noah, his family, and to every living creature. And that includes all humans, all birds, beasts, wild animals, uh, and encompasses everything in this wonderful covenant. And in this covenant, God promised unconditionally that he would never send another flood to destroy all life on the earth. God multiplied life. He sustains it. Uh, he's protecting it. And he wants us to enjoy it. And he, doesn't not, he does not want us to worry about another universal flood. I think the biggest rainstorm I found on the Internet was in um, somewhere in Holt, Missouri or something like that, 12 inches of rain in like 42 minutes. That's a lot. But even at that, uh, we know we are promised by God right here, that there will not be another universal flood. And God promises that there will be no more universal flood. We can enjoy it even when it rains like it did yesterday. And so at least four times in this covenant, the Lord mentions every living creature. Every living creature. He's speaking about animals and birds that Noah had kept safe in the ark. And so once again, God is reminding us uh, that God has a special concern for his animal life as well. Letter B, God gave a, and the word there is sign, God gave a sign uh, of his covenant, verses 12 through 16. It's a covenant to help his people remember his covenants. And God would give them a visible sign God's covenant with Noah and the animal creation was sealed with the sign of the rainbow. We see that in verses 12, uh, look in verse 13. Uh, it says, I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a token of a covenant between me and the earth. So God gave us this covenant of a rainbow. You know, Mark Twain and his friend William Dean Howes, they stepped out of church one day, and just as they did, there's a violent rainstorm that began. And Howes looked at Mark Twain and he said, I wonder if it will stop. And so Mark Twain responded, it always has. It always
Now we've got a green light. Thank you, Marilyn. Serving the Lord by changing batteries. That's, that's a good thing. Anything we do for the Lord is good. So God uh, gave his covenant, and it helps us enjoy life. I hope it helps you. Don't, don't you feel good when you see a rainbow? I do. If nothing else, I, I enjoy it. But there's more to it than just that. God promised, letter C, to remember his covenant. Remember his covenant. Verse 16 says, And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. Now, this is the test. Do you remember last week what we talked about the definition of remember was when God talks about it? I know you all do, but I'm going to say it again anyway. So, but it means to pay attention to, to fulfill a promise, an act on behalf of somebody. So a rainbow is a perpetual reminder from God that when we see that, that, hey, he's paying attention to us. He's fulfilling a promise. Uh, he's acting on our behalf. Praise the Lord. Whenever you see a rainbow, uh, think of Genesis chapter 9. There is a sign of a covenant, an everlasting covenant from God that he's thinking about me. He's acting on my behalf. He's fulfilling his promise. to. I don't have to ever worry about a universal flood. And so praise God for that. God wants us to enjoy the blessings of natural life and spiritual life. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, it says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, and listen to this, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Praise the Lord. He wants us to enjoy life. God's instruction is to enjoy life. And you know, when you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you know him as your Savior, the world of nature around you becomes much more wonderful because the Creator has become your Father. When in later years, the American evangelist D.L. Moody, he said this, he talked about his conversion as a teenager. And he says, I was in a new world. The next morning, the sun shone brighter and the birds sang sweeter. The old elms waved their branches for joy, and all nature was at peace. It was the most delicious joy I had ever known. That's what uh, D.L. Moody said after his conversion. And we've looked at God's word concerning his instructions in four areas of life. Have you got all your blanks filled in? D. D, God promised, okay, God promised an everlasting covenant. Uh, he, he promised, he made this promise. And here's what's so interesting. Uh, thank you for bringing that out. I'm sorry I missed that. Here's what's so interesting about this covenant. This is an everlasting covenant that's not contingent on any commandment that you obey or I obey. God says, this is my covenant with man, saved or unsaved. This is my covenant with animals. He said, he's making that covenant. We don't have to obey him. We don't have to do anything, but we still have this covenant that God is making with man 
that he is not going to give us a universal flood. Uh, and so that's letter D, everlasting. God made this everlasting covenant. Uh, he made it. He said it. He'll fulfill it. He has done it. He will do it. We looked into God's word concerning his instructions in four areas of life, and now I want to consider one more life. It's not in the lesson, but I just thought it would be a good place to throw this in. Could I have the last slide, please? Eternal life, John 3, 16. The God of creation that we're studying about, the God that protected Noah and the animals and gave these instructions, that God uh, is also the God of salvation. If you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you too will have eternal life, and you'll enjoy life more here. Uh, so that's our lesson for today. Thank you for your kind attention, and praise the Lord. Dr. Coles will be back next Sunday, Lord willing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time we've had to study it. And Lord, uh, we do give you all praise, honor, and glory for what you have done for us in the past that we're studying about, what you're doing now in our lives, and Lord, what you will do in the future. Thank you for Pastor Asher's message that, Lord, we do not have to be concerned. We do not have to worry about tomorrow. We don't have to worry about the future. Uh, we don't look to the White House. Uh, we look to the cross. Father, be with us as we go our way. Help us, Lord, to be ambassadors. Help us to be witnesses. Help us to show forth uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.